You are listening to a Natural Products Insider podcast. With Sandy Almendares, Editor-in-Chief. And welcome to a Healthy Insider Podcast. I'm Sandy, and I am on site at the CRN Workshop in Dana Point, California. And I am happy to be sitting with Michael Grantner. We are going to talk about sleep and the role that nutrition can play in sleep. He is one of the speakers this afternoon at the CRN Workshop. Hi, Michael. Thank you for joining me. Hi, thanks. So Michael is a leading expert in the area of sleep and health, which makes sense given the topic we're going to cover today. He is a certified board member of Sleep Medicine, which he just let me know is very rare. I think there's about 200 people in the world with that certification, so that's fabulous to have him with us. Um, he is a licensed clinical psychologist certified in behavioral sleep medicine, as I just said. He's an assistant professor of psychiatry, psychology, medicine, and nutritional sciences. He's the director of the University of Arizona Sleep and Health Research Program. He's the director of the Behavioral Sleep Medicine Clinical Program at Banner University Medical Center in Tucson. So that means he lives in Arizona, my home state, even though I went to ASU, but that's okay. It's okay. We're not rivals here. His research focuses on real-world applications of sleep and health and the links between sleep, obesity, diabetes, cardiovascular disease, brain function, and work productivity. He's been published over 100 times in academic peer-reviewed journals. He's won many awards. He works with companies such as Natrol and Fitbit. He works with athletes, including at the NCAA, Major League Baseball, the US Olympic Committee, and I'm really happy to have him with me here today. Um, I mentioned Fitbit. I'm wearing one right now that uh, tells me that I don't get enough sleep, but I have an infant, so that's that's what uh, what I blame that on. And if it's still bad in a couple of years, maybe I can blame nutrition. But anyway, welcome, Michael. Um, so let's get started. Besides sure. for feeling tired, what implications does lack of sleep have? So sleep is really important for health broadly. It's a lot like nutrition, where every cell in the body gets nutrients, and some organs and some tissues use different kinds of nutrients in different ways, but really the whole body benefits from nutrition. It's the same with sleep, where sleep affects the whole body. Sleep isn't just for preventing sleepiness, it's also for things like uh, regulating the immune system, regulating metabolism, uh, regulating brain function. Pretty much any system in the body is at least somehow connected to sleep, uh, which is good because if you can sleep well, you can support all of these. But it also means that when you're not sleeping, there's lots of different areas in the body that uh, couldn't have problems. So I mentioned these uh, the, the Olympics and yeah. basketball and baseball. What implications does sleep have for athletic performance? Yeah, so... When you think about the most salient effects of lack of sleep, what you see are things like impaired physical performance, impaired mental performance and thinking, impaired uh, healing and recovery and and worse inflammation, uh, worse mental health, uh, and also ability to focus. And all of these things are important to everybody. But to athletes, they're a little bit exaggerated where, you know, if I'm slowed down by 2%, I don't notice. But for them, it could be win or lose. You know, if I am, if my 
decision-making capacity is reduced by a few percent, you know, that's I, I may not notice. But for them, it may be win or lose. So these effects are, are of exaggerated importance, which is why studying this in athletes and, and working with athletes can be really rewarding because you can make a big impact. But on the other hand, athletes are sort of like a perfect storm of bad sleep because not only do they often have to wake up very early for practices or training, often earlier than they biologically should when they're often waking up during their own biological night when they're trying to have performance but then you also have things like overscheduling, uh, especially with student athletes who are also keeping a full class schedule people who may also may have jobs travel and, and you have these biological rhythm disruptions from traveling across time zones so not only are athletes particularly sensitive to the problems that sleep loss causes, as it does to everybody, but they might also be in a situation where they might be more vulnerable too. Right, like especially the Olympic athletes that you work with, because they aren't the professionals, the ones that have their, it's not their day job always, uh, their sport, so they're juggling all these different things, and then they've got to travel to, you know, Tokyo or wherever the Olympics are. And it's not just for the Olympics. You got to remember, a lot of these sports have these world competitions mm -hmm. in between the Olympics, and to find out how they're qualifying and how they're ranking. And a lot of these are all over the world. And so, you've got people who are flying from Colorado to Asia, and then over to Europe, mm -hmm. and then they've got to perform at eight the next morning. And mm -hmm. so, how do you adjust and how do you maintain your performance when a fraction of a second can mean the difference between right. winning and losing? Wow. So, yeah, it can be it can be really important. But then again, a lot of people out in the world, you know, people with jobs and kids and a life, they have a lot of these similar issues where they're trying to balance everything. And there, some people travel a lot, and and even if you don't, you know, I, I think. When you talk to people and you ask people, you know, do you think you're getting as much sleep as you need? A lot of people will say no. And when you say why, they don't say it's because they hate their sleep. It's because they feel like they can't. Mm -hmm. You know, right. whether it's kids, whether it's work, whether it's a combination of things, they feel like they can't. And that's where I think we can make a lot of progress. So let's talk about some of the things that can help people. Yeah. Um, specifically the dietary ingredients that can help. Uh, let's talk about melatonin. What okay. role does it play? So melatonin, the thing about melatonin is a lot of people don't really understand what melatonin is. They think it's a sleep-promoting hormone. And it is, but not really. That's mm -hmm. not re it's, it's only sleep-promoting um, as a secondary function. Huh. Its main function is to tell your body that it's nighttime. Now think of it this way. If your whole body needs to know when to sleep and when it's nighttime, how does it know? So you have a clock in your brain that tells about when it's daytime, when it's nighttime, and it's not exact, so it uses information from light to try and guess as to where in the 24 hours you are. Um, but if you, it needs to send a signal out to the whole body. How do, how do your fingers and toes and liver and, and muscles and vasculature and lymph nodes, how do all of these systems all at the same time know that it's nighttime? Well, the only system that touches them all is the blood, right? And, and that's how hormones work. Hormones are essentially a signal in the blood that travels across a distance. And that's what melatonin is. So, so the pineal gland produces melatonin when it senses evening is coming, when it's guessing that evening is coming. It rises at night, peaks at night, drops off in the morning, which is why if you're going to use melatonin to help you sleep, there's a few things you need to know. First of all, if you're having trouble sleeping, 
say you're getting into bed and it's taking you a long time to fall asleep, the first question you might want to ask yourself is, is this just difficulty sleeping or is this an insomnia disorder? Where if it's taking you more than a half an hour to fall asleep on at least three nights a week, or maybe you're falling asleep okay, but you're up during the night for at least a half an hour, at least three nights a week, and this has gone on for at least three months, melatonin probably isn't going to fix the problem because your body already knows it's nighttime and you still can't sleep. Mm. So telling your body, hey, it's nighttime, isn't going to fix the problem then. So, um, so first of all, a lot of people are using melatonin to treat a problem that it's not necessarily designed to fix. So another thing, okay, well, maybe that's not your issue, but you can have an increased nighttime signal and that might help you. Well, so then people think, well, let me take it right before bed. Thinking like, well, if it helps make mm -hmm. me a little sleepy, maybe if I take it right before bed, it'll help me sleep. But it turns out that if you're taking it right before bed, you're actually sort of already producing it already. So um, it might not be effective. You're, you're adding a drop to an already filling up bucket. And mm -hmm. so you might not have a big effect. Uh, or even taking it in the middle of the night even more so, where you're already producing it at this point. Adding some doesn't add any new information to the system. Where the only times melatonin can be really effective, especially if you're trying to um, shift your rhythms a little bit and, and go to sleep a little earlier, you might want to actually take it in the evening, which will give it enough time to sort of ramp up a little earlier, maybe even hours before you're going to sleep. Um, and that will... Um, help tell your body it's nighttime a little earlier than it was expecting to. It doesn't make you sleep deeper or anything like that. It just, it's a clock shifter. So wherever your biological night is, if you take the melatonin a little on the early side, that whole thing shifts a little early. So you'll, you might start falling, your normal falling asleep process might happen a little early and so will your normal wake up process will also happen a little earlier. Um, for example, that, that's an example of a way that melatonin can be very effective. And it's not that higher doses are better. Actually, lower doses are better. Hmm. Um, so there's, I mean, there's, there's lots of complications in terms of timing and dosing of melatonin. But to the, the most well-studied and, and rigorously tested way to use melatonin is actually a very low dose, actually maybe a little earlier than you were expecting. You're blowing my mind. All right. <laughs> Blow my mind on the next topic. All right. We'll see if I can so do that. What about time. some botanicals? So in terms of botanicals, um, so there's a lot of stuff out there for sleep. And so there's, there's good news and bad news about this. So I'm going to start with the bad news is that most of the botanicals that are on the market to help promote sleep have little to no evidence that they do anything having to do with sleep, that they, that they if you give it to somebody, will it change their sleep at all? Most of the botanicals out there don't have evidence to back up claims. Uh, most of it's anecdote and history. Um, one exception is valerian, which has probably more evidence to support it than any others, though still in, in larger, better controlled studies, actually it tends not to beat placebo. That's the bad news. The good news is some of that may not matter because the data that's out there might be targeting the wrong group where a lot of the studies that have that have looked at the effectiveness of some of these are you are looking at it as a treatment for insomnia where they're recruiting people with an insomnia disorder mm. to see if it makes if it cures their insomnia and the fact that it doesn't cure insomnia actually doesn't bother me too much because supplements aren't trying to cure medical problems right you know 
So maybe more of these studies that need to be done need to not necessarily focus on people with the medical condition, but what about people who might have more minor sleep problems or people just trying to promote healthy sleep? Does it do that? Um, and actually, the industry hasn't really asked that question, which seems like the obvious question to me, mm -hmm. but I, I think they're so focused on um, asking the question that everyone else is, you know, it, the pharmaceutical company was asking, can we treat insomnia? And so mm -hmm. they used a lot of those methods, but it turns out that maybe they weren't the right ones. And so just because even, even for some of these substances, the, the evidence isn't very strong, doesn't mean it's not helpful. It just means that it might be helpful. We just need to look in the right place and look mm -hmm. at it in the right way. Makes sense. Are there any surprising nutrients that uh, research has shown help sleep? So surprising nutrients. So one that a lot of people haven't thought of much um, is B12. So B12 does not necessarily help with sleep, but it is. it does play a role in sleep-wake regulation. If you, There's some evidence that shows that B12 is involved in how light interacts with the clock and melatonin. Hmm. So, which is why, which might be one of the reasons why it increases energy. Yeah, I mean, is, I always know B12 is an energy. Right, it may increase energy in other ways. I mean, I'm not a food scientist, but from a circadian perspective, one of the things that B12 seems to do is it seems to play some role in the ability of light to suppress melatonin, mm. which is why if you take it in the evening, you might have more trouble sleeping because, you know, light in the environment sends a daytime signal. If you're trying to increase your melatonin production at night and you're getting environmental light, say, from a screen right in front of your face, mm -hmm. um, it'll suppress that melatonin, it'll make it harder to fall asleep, and it'll delay when your, your brain thinks it's nighttime. Um, it's possible that if you're taking B12 at night, it might make that worse because mm -hmm. if it facilitates right. that. Whereas if you take it in the morning and you want to get going a little faster in the morning, that might be a, a, a time to do that. So that's something that, that a lot of people don't know about. Um, another, another issue that people may not know about is uh, there's a lot of talk about CBD oil mm -hmm. for sleep. Now, um, you know, I'm going to start with the punchline and say no matter what you hear, the jury is out on CBD oil. Um, it's, there's nothing conclusive in terms of sleep benefits. Okay. Um, a lot of people anecdotally say it helps with sleep, but um, in systematic research, it's very up in the air. It seems to depend on what it's mixed with, how it's made, um, when people are taking it, and who's taking it. Mm -hmm. um, and so the effects can be very subtle or, or imperceptible, or they could be large. It just how exactly to use it as a sleep aid, um, the data is not here yet. Um, so a lot of people are using it for sleep, um, but you know I, I, I can't necessarily recommend it because um, we don't really have evidence to show that it's great. Um, but I, I also am not necessarily recommending against it either for the same reason, that there is some evidence that suggests it might be helpful but it looks like there's nuance. And if it does work for you, great. If it doesn't work for you, I wouldn't be terribly surprised either. So I guess I'm hearing we need more research. Well, I guess you ask a researcher. They always <laughs> say we need more research. But let me say this. I want to know, so if you, let's say you have some sort of, some sort of supplement X. What does it do? 
um, most of most of the supplements around sleep. Sleep is really important. So what what supplements around sleep are trying to ask is, can this supplement make you sleep better? Mm-hmm. Maybe that's not really the goal. You know, maybe it, maybe there aren't a lot of foods that will help me fall asleep faster. Maybe there are some that will help keep me up, which I want to avoid, like anything too heavy or spicy that could cause reflux, things like mm-hmm. that. But what if the answer for the nutritional industry isn't to get people to fall asleep faster. We have ways of doing that. We have non-medication ways of doing that that actually work great. Maybe the, the way to think about it is during the night is when your body is rebuilding and repairing and this is your, your peak of growth hormone production. This is when you're transcribing uh, uh, proteins and, and building macromolecules and transporting them. What if there's a way that you could give the body the raw materials it needs to make the most of it mm-hmm. and and can have the most efficient use of that time? You know, so maybe just chasing an, an herbal sleeping pill, you know, will just keep you running in circles. But what if there, there's there's tons of other opportunities for the nutritional industry to think about sleep as just like they think about other domains of health? There's There's tons of opportunities, but it all requires research. And I know research can be very expensive um, and incremental, but without it, you know, you don't know what you're saying, especially when it comes to sleep, because there's a lot of anecdotes about sleep that that reflect placebo effect, that reflect so many other things in the environment can impact sleep. Unless you're systematically looking at something, if you really care, if there's a, if your nutritional product has some sort of effect on sleep, you know, you, you need to test it because even a lot of medications that are given for sleep are not FDA indicated for sleep because they don't actually beat out placebo. Mm. And I'm not saying that nutri- nutritional industry trying to treat disorders, but we don't know unless you look. Right. I think we need more research. The reason, not just because I'm a researcher and, and that benefits me and, and research is fun, but you have a nutritional industry that has the opportunity to improve a lot of people's health. And you have sleep, which is an area that impacts a lot of people. Everybody sleeps. And sleep and nutrition, where we already have a lot of research showing that there's lots of connections between sleep and nutrition, but shockingly little understanding about what those connections are, how those connections work, how we can maximize them. So there's a huge opportunity. And that's where research needs to come in to answer some of those questions. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Michael. Thank you. For more award-winning podcasts for ministry experts, go to insider.com and click in the podcast section. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts by searching Healthy Insider Podcast. Hit subscribe to never miss an episode. To join the conversation about the supplement industry, leave a comment on the podcast's Twitter, Facebook, or SoundCloud accounts.